the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And you are listening to a new edition of A Different Perspective. Welcome to A Different Perspective, and I am Kevin Randall. I don't know why I couldn't do the introduction properly. I just lost my mind there for some reason. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had Don Ecker on the program, and we were having kind of an interesting conversation about what is going on in the UFO field today. And uh, we didn't get to everything I wanted to discuss. We went off onto some tangents that I think were important to explore. But I wanted to get uh, get back to that. And as most of you will remember, Don is a writer, researcher, a commentator um, who's currently living in the Los Angeles area. He was a former director of research and media liaison for UFO Magazine, which was a very good magazine about UFOs. Um, and he's been a investigator of this phenomenon, a renowned investigator for a number of years, and he's done an awful lot of radio and television programming about UFOs and uh, writing about that. His uh, recently published novel is Past Sins that you can get at the uh, uh, Amazon website. Don Ecker, welcome back to A Different Perspective. Well, thank you, Kevin, very much. It's uh, once again a great pleasure to be here. Well, it's always fun to have someone that can, I, I, someone that has a depth of knowledge of the UFO field. And sometimes I, I just, the guests that we get, people who've written books, just do not have that kind of, kind of a background. So you have to kind of lead them into uh, where you want them to go. Over the last few weeks, um, there's been a lot of talk about a book by Jacques Vallée and Piola, Paola Harris called Trinity, The Best Kept Secret. Are you familiar with that book? Well, I've obviously heard about it. I know nothing about what's in it. But uh, I knew that Valet and uh, Paola Harris uh, collaborated. So that, quite frankly, is the extent of my knowledge. Are you familiar with the San Antonio UFO crash, which is what the book is essentially about? <clears throat> now i got to tell you, I'm not. Well, then we're probably not going to be able to discuss that at length then. <laughs> well, I, I could try to I could try to snow you under, but I would probably be found out in short order. So it's better just to be honest and say, uh, no, I can't say I know anything about that, Kevin. Well, we did. I did talk to Valet and, and Harris uh, a couple of weeks ago about the book and uh some of the things that uh, they discussed. I, I will say, the one thing I will say, this took place in 1945, which is two years before the Roswell crash. And I always find these stories that come out talking about crashed retrievals prior to Roswell to be somewhat problematic because I always thought that if there was something like that event prior to Roswell, the reaction to Roswell would have been wholly different. They would have had some experience in dealing with it. Well, since we can't really talk about that intelligently. Uh, I also talked with um, Kathleen Martin, and I mentioned at the close of our program that she was going to be on the on, on as well. I wondered um, about your feelings on alien abductions and the stories that are circulating about alien abduction. Well, <clears throat> abductions, as we all know, that have been involved with this topic back in the very early 1990s, the very late 1980s, became the tale, and I mean T-A-I-L, as opposed to T-A-L-E, 
the tail that wagged the dog. Now, as I have stated on the record many, many times, when Vicki and I, my wife, Vicki, who was the creator and founder of UFO Magazine, when she and I were publishing, we were contacted frequently, and I might even say constantly, by people that were alleging they thought they had undergone this experience, this abduction experience. Now, quite honestly, I was always afraid because I didn't feel in any way qualified to uh, advise these people. Many of them, it was apparent to me, had undergone something. Uh, Some of them would show me marks and scars, primarily on their legs or around their knees or even on their arms. And I, I had no way of knowing what might have caused that. And uh, they would want to know, what, what should I do? Well, let me, let me interject here because I think it's important that the scars that they were showing to are related to the abduction experience. And this was kind of a way of proving it was something done in re- something that was real, at least to them, that uh, it's some kind of evidence for the abduction. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. So... Um, and oftentimes I would be asked, well, you know, they're so-and-so and so-and-so in the UFO abduction research field. Do you think maybe I should try to, uh, get them to hypnotize me? Okay. To regress me. And I got to tell you, Kevin, when I heard that, the first thing I would tell them is, look, I've been, I've been watching this and I've had many people come to me. This is what I tell all of them. If you can continue on and basically put this alleged experience behind you, this is what I would recommend. If It's something you don't feel that you can put behind you. Then the first thing I would recommend, I would suggest, I'm not telling you to do it, but this is my suggestion. Call up your family physician. Talk to your doctor. Go in and see if he'll see you. And... If you trust him, explain why you are there. Okay? Now, if you don't feel satisfied at the end of that conversation with your family doctor, then consider talking to a public health or mental specialist and explain what it is. Now, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting you're mentally disturbed, but they know how to proceed with things like this. And I would would think that uh, that would be a good way to go. And if not, whatever you do, do not seek out somebody in the UFO field to regress you. Now, Kevin, between you and I, and I, I, I'm sure I've told you this before, you and Russ Estes and Bill Cohn wrote a book exploring abductions back in the 90s. You're going to know exactly what I'm about to say. But I have gone, as, as a representative of UFO Magazine, to some regressions that Vicki and I were invited to. And I'll never forget in one situation, we were sitting there like little mice in the corner, just observing. And the regression therapist had somebody under and asked them, 
Well, what do you see? Well, I, I see a craft. You see a, a, a craft. What, a, a flying saucer? Yes. And uh, what are they doing? And they continued on. And then the regression therapist said, well, what planet are they from? And at that point, I knew this was a total bust, a total washout. It was the highest form of delusion. So, you know, I, I uh, feel very secure in suggesting that uh, if this is something that you are confronted with, for God's sake, don't seek out a regression therapist in the UFO field. Well, I, as you mentioned, Rust Essie's Bill Cohn and I did a book called The Abduction Enigma. We actually wanted to call it alien rape, but the publisher was afraid that would offend people. But in essence, that's kind of what we were looking at, people who are having their minds raped by some of these investigations. I've always kind of broken it down into two categories. That is the targets of opportunity. And I think of Barney and Betty Hill as a target of opportunity, uh, Travis Walton, Calvin Parker uh, and, and Hickson, Charles Hickson, um, one-offs. The aliens see them, they capture them, they do their thing, they go away, as opposed to the longitudinal studies where a lot of this kind of hypnotic regression becomes important in drawing out the information. And we were worried about leading the witness. Uh, what we learned about hypnosis, and I think what a lot of people learned about hypnosis, and even in the 30 years since that book came out, that it's very simple to lead the um, subject where you want them to go. And John Mack, and I've said that this on the program before, John Mack actually made a very astute observation when he said that it seemed interesting that the victims of alien abduction seemed to seek out the researcher whose uh, philosophy matched their experience. In other words, those who... Uh, were abducted by aliens with a scientific point of view, ended up with Bud Hopkins. Those who were involved in some kind of a hybrid exp uh, experimentation, ended up with David Jacobs. Those with an Eastern philosophy ended up with John Mack. And of course, Russ, Bill, and I turned that around and said, isn't it possible that a person comes to the researcher not having any sort of philosophy, and that philosophy is sort of implanted on, on the subject. And uh, we pointed that out, and I think um, somebody asked John Mack that. John Mack had said that about the, the um, matching of the researcher to the experience, and uh, somebody asked John Mack about that at uh, MUFON LA once, and he said, well, I, I've never said anything like that. Um, I've thought it a couple of times, but I've never said it. And I'm thinking, would you like to go to C.B. Bryant's book where you actually say that? And it's, it's quoted there. Or the videotape that Russ Estes and I have, uh, Russ Estes actually had, of John Mack saying exactly that sort of thing. So I think of the abduction phenomena kind of a two-tiered thing where we have an awful lot of people who have... Um, undergone a lot of hypnotic regression and, and come up with these fantastic stories. And those people who have kind of a one type story, like Travis Walton, where it's very limited in what they saw and their interaction. And it may be um, suggestive of something else. And now I've gone on long enough. We're going to have to take a break, Don. <laughs> And come Good, back because I, I have something I have something to say when we get back. I was going to say we we'll come back and you can you can uh, talk about that here at, at that time. Um, we will have more information at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com as always. Um, take a look at that uh, at the blog because I think there's an awful lot of interesting things that are on there. I've got. It turns out there's over a thousand postings on the blog. I cannot believe that. And there's a search engine that allows you to find uh, exactly what you might be interested in uh, if it's not covered in today's program or some of the other programs. There's things like that. And there's some other fine programs on about the paranormal that you can find on the Exxon Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. So take a look at those last things to find your favorite program. Mine, of course, is A Different Perspective. We will be back right after this with Don Ecker talking about alien abduction.
sulfur than me. They took for the shed, then darkened to fall. Silence was all. A beauty shone bright, surrounded by light. Come on now, I fell in love with the nebulous. I am here with Don Ecker, listening to music, apparently. Uh, getting some good bumper music now these days. We were talking about alien abductions, and when we went away, uh, Don wanted to make a comment about some of the things I had mentioned there earlier in the last part of that segment. So, uh, Don, the floor is yours. Yes, sir. Well, <clears throat> Kevin, you know, it's funny. When I think about abductions... And for years, I mean, we were smothered with cases of abductions at UFO Magazine. I also found running in parallel with the abduction topic something else that you may or may not uh, think should run parallel with abductions, but that is mutilations. Now... When I was a detective, a police officer, back in 1981, near the end of 1981-82, I was a lead investigator on a couple of mutilations. Now, up front, I mean, I, I got to tell you, right up front, I didn't know anything about that then. Uh, later, I was to do a huge amount of research into investigating the mutilation thing, uh, which even progressed into a few cases of what appeared to be human mutilations. But just looking at the phenomenon itself of animal mutilations... These have been going on and have been reported for 60 years plus. The same thing with abductions. Abductions have been going on for roughly 60 years or even more. I mean, there have been, back in the day, a lot of tales of generational abductions by the so-called ETs. Families going back whole generations claiming abductions. Now, especially with mutilations and then abductions, this has been happening apparently and reported on forever. So that tells me I think there's much more going on than what is appearing on the surface. Would you agree with that? Taking into account if this is even real. Now, obviously, the animal mutilations are. And I've come across a number of cases where I have no doubt that the subject claiming abduction, something unforetold happened to them. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that is case-proof positive that E.T. did it, but something happened. But I think, Kevin, I think there's a lot more happening behind the scenes than what's on the surface. Oh, I agree. I think there's something to the abduction phenomenon. I'm not sure it's necessarily extraterrestrial, although there are some of the cases that point in that direction. I'm thinking now of the Terry Loveless case, who... Um, talked about his abduction experience, but also, more importantly, the reaction of the Air Force Office of Special Investigation to his uh, report of abduction and how they handled the investigation. And I think it's important to remember that uh, the Air Force investigated that using both chemical and hypnotic regression because Lovelace was a member of the Air Force at the time. And I think it kind of relates to the Rendlesham Forest case from uh, December of 1980, uh, I've, and I'm sure you have, too, spoken to Jim Pettiston and John Burroughs and Charles Halt about All that. of them, yeah. And, and it appears that that um, Burroughs and Pettiston and, and the other enlisted personnel and some of the junior officers were 
subjected to chemical and hypnotic regression. Halt claims he was not. I'm not convinced that he's right on that, that he may have been subjected to it and just is denying that happened to him. But it suggests something more going on. It doesn't necessarily lead us to the extraterrestrial. And I explore the um, both of those, those cases somewhat in, in UFOs in the Deep State and how it relates to the investigation, or at least... Um, I don't want to say cover-up, but the the um, analysis of what is happening out there. But there is there's definitely something going on. People are experiencing things. I think part of the abduction phenomena can be explained by sleep paralysis. Well, let me take a tributary there. We're going down the <laughs> river, but there's a little tributary off to the right. Okay. And let me let me let me just kind of swing into that tributary for a minute. Now. <clears throat> You and I have both been banging on this door for a very long time. And I have noticed over the decades a very curious part of this overall gestalt of UFOs, people involved in the researchers, especially uh, some, uh, Subjects that have been involved in some type of weird thing, uh, be it an uh, abduction or, or something along that line, and then hearing the initial story, time progresses and the story grows. In some cases, slowly, and in some cases, by leaps and bounds. Now... You mentioned Jim Penniston. I remember very well the initial story coming out. Uh, Chuck DeCaro, who was a reporter, contract, I guess, reporter with CNN. I knew DeCaro. Uh, he was one of the first people to do a special on what purportedly happened at uh, Bentwaters. Uh, then, unfortunately, I got a contact with, uh, through actually, initially, Russ Estes, I got in contact with uh, one of the purported airmen that was part of that, Larry Warren. Yeah, it was when, you, when you said Russ Estes, I knew you were going to go to Larry Warren. <laughs> Okay. And <clears throat> apparently that just imploded hugely. Warren had taken everybody on a on a journey for years and it turned out to be totally bogus. Okay. Uh and then other people like uh, like Burroughs who underwent some type of physical problem while still in the Air Force, and his medical records ended up being classified, he couldn't even, and he was having a lot of physical problems, he couldn't even get his own medical records. There was just a lot of weirdness with that case. But to get back to my point, the story's growing and progressing. Another case in point, which uh, I'm sure you have thoughts on, I sure do, was Clifford Stone. Well, what, wait a minute. Before we go to Cliff, let me, let me ask you a question, because you talked about the story growing, the Rendlesham Forest story growing. Are you suggesting that is suggestive of a hoax? No, 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 no. Because not, that, not, not a hoax. Pressure, not not pressure a, I was getting. Not, from, not a point. hoax, but... Now, this is speculation, okay, on my part. Let me, let me be very clear. I do not know this. I am speculating. But on somebody like Penniston, his story today was miles and geometric shapes far, far away from what he had to say originally. Okay, originally... He walked up to this object, he sketched some glyphs or something, he saw on it. He may or may not have touched it, 
uh, <clears throat> there seemed to be an odd thing happening in the vicinity there as he's around this thing. And later we progressed into receiving a binary code from this object that was being apparently beamed into his, into his head, okay? Now, could this have been a hypnotic suggestion or a chemically hypnotic suggestion somebody fed him? Or might he have succumbed to the UFO disease where I need to make the story more exciting I need to make the story more enthralling. I really enjoy going out and talking about this at events. You see, see where I'm headed with this. Well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here. I don't think it's a, a case of Peniston creating more uh, information about his experience to uh, or expanding his story so that he can be invited out to the circuit uh, circuit to talk about it. I think it. I think it's an outgrowth of the various hypnotic and chemical regressions that he was subjected to, which is a whole different matter. Well, that was that was my that was my question. I was interested in what you had to say, but then we've seen people like Cliff Stone. Ah, yes, Cliff Stone. Now, <clears throat> Clifford Stone was a military retiree, retired as a sergeant first class, C seven. Uh, initially Stone was known for coming up with documents he located. Uh, he had undergone a lot of harassment because of his UFO, uh, interest while still in the, the United States army. Well, let, let me uh, interrupt here because I, I have a point on that. I think that the problem was not his interest in UFOs, but his interest of going outside the chain of command and, and contacting the United States. You didn't Senate. let me get there. I was oh, headed there. I'm sorry. Then I will be quiet and let you go. But you, but but make it quick because we're coming up close to a break here. Okay. So anyway, before you know it, Clifford, his story progressed to the point. And this was something that I took on head first. He had written an article. This is after Vicky and I no longer had sole control of UFO magazine. He had written an article that was approved by another individual, William Burns, where he talked about his daring do in Vietnam crawling out through the barbed wire of the camp he was supposedly in to meet his UFO contact in the middle of VC territory. Now, I got to tell you, when I, when, I, when I saw that article was going in, I had a violent, not physically, but a, a violent verbal confrontation about inputting that into the magazine. And I had no uh, recourse to go except to write a counter article about why this was so much horsepucky, okay, which is a nice way of saying something else. And uh, I was offended by that well, uh, Don, greatly. Let, Don, let's come back to that in just a moment because I too was offended by that because I know this crawling out through the wires nonsense is just that nonsense. Uh, Don and I are talking now about uh, alien abductions, Clifford Stone's experiences in Vietnam, meeting his alien, I guess, controls, and other aspects of the UFO phenomenon. There will be more information available at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And if you get a chance, take a look at UFOs and the deep state, because I think it'll answer some of your questions. Don and I will be back right after this with more exciting information. So please stick around. Called for the me, they took for the shed, then dark came to fall. Silence was all, a beauty shone bright, surrounded by light. Come on now, I fell in love with the net.
I am here with Don Ecker interrupting the music for some reason. I have no idea what's going on now. Um, when we went away, Don was talking about Cliff Stone's exciting adventures in Vietnam. Now, I will, I will say that I did get a copy of Stone's military records from St. Louis to look it up. And he did have tours in Vietnam. He uh, was trained as a clerk typist. There's nothing on that. Well, all all of us who went through basic training are trained basically as riflemen, infantrymen. Uh, some of us, our advanced training was something else. Mine happened to be helicopter flight school. Cliff's happened to be clerk typist school. So Cliff, Cliff went to Vietnam as a clerk typist. And I point that out so that, A, you know, he was a legitimate Vietnam veteran. And B, um, his training was to fight with typewriters and paperwork as opposed to the enemy. Uh, but you were saying, Don, about his crawling through the wire and all of that stuff before I broke broke in. Right, right. Um, now, in full disclosure, Clifford passed away uh, not too awfully long ago. He is no longer with us. And on a personal level, hey, he was a very congenial guy. Uh, I, I don't sit here uh, with any pleasure ragging on him, but this kind of business, you know, I in Vietnam I was wounded twice. Okay, uh, I received two Purple Hearts, and it doesn't give me any pleasure to talk about this, but by God, at the time, it put me in mind of people that claimed to have Vietnam combat service that were never even in the damned military. Okay. I was offended, deeply offended. And, and as a matter of fact, Kevin, I remember you calling me and we talked about that, about this story that he put out and you were quite upset by it also. And, uh, you know, uh, then it reminded me of one other situation with Cliff, and I really began to wonder if Clifford was playing with full a full deck of 52 cards. He called me up one day. This is in the very early 90s. He called me up, and uh, I answered the phone, and he said, Don, Don, you're not going to believe it. And, you know, I, I knew who it was. It was Clifford Stone, and I, I didn't know what he was talking about. And I said, uh, well, Cliff, okay, what? You're not going to believe what just happened to me. Now, Cliff lived in Roswell, New Mexico, okay? And... Uh, I said, well, uh, what's going on, Cliff? He said, well, he said, I was just outside my house doing something, and this car pulled up, and two guys got out of it. One guy was in the car, and they walked up to me, and they said, Cliff, get your jacket. We got something we want to show you. And I said, well, okay, did you know these guys? Nope, never saw them before. Well, what'd they want? Well, I asked him, and he said, just come with me. Well, what'd you do? Well, I went in and got my jacket, but I slipped my revolver into my pocket. Now I'm thinking, uh, this sounds a little wonky. This is a little strange. And I said, okay, so what happened next? Well, I walked back outside, and I went over to the car, got in, and we drove out in the countryside. Did they tell you what they wanted? No, but he pulled off the road and said, get out of the car. I want to show you this. And I got out of the car. He got out of the car. And he said, okay, Cliff, I know you've got your gun. I want you to shoot me. Now, I'm sitting there, okay, at the magazine, Kevin, and I'm thinking about, boy, is it happy hour yet? And I'm listening to him, and I said, 
All right, Cliff, what'd you do? Well, I can't explain it, but I pulled my gun out and I fired it at him. What happened? Nothing. Bullet went right through him. He never even flinched. That's when I knew Cliff was well and way off the path, Kevin. Now, I believe I told you this story before, didn't I? Yes, you have. What do you say? What do you say to something like that? Okay, Cliff, have a nice day. Goodbye, click. Uh, Somebody's at the door. I've got to go. But the one thing that you bring up, and and you didn't really touch on it as much as I would have liked you to, and it was Cliff telling his stories about Vietnam. And uh, I read a book called Stolen Valor quite a few years ago, and it was about the people who claimed a Vietnam service who are getting a lot of attention in the media about their horrific experiences and how when you began to check out their records, they weren't, as you said, weren't in the military or they had some mundane job and they didn't deploy to Vietnam, Um, which is a perfect experience point for me to say that for those of you who are interested in my Vietnam service as a helicopter pilot and aircraft commander, um, I started a blog called VietnamGroundZero.blogspot.com, which is my relatively true experiences in Vietnam. And I say relatively true because um, these are my memories as they as, as they access them now, which may not be completely um, accurate because I've noticed some things from the letters I sent home and what I thought was true. So I try to clarify all that. But the point simply is um, that to me is is something very offensive when when people start bragging about their Vietnam experiences. And I know that when people talk about Vietnam, I now worry about them being fakers, being liars about their experiences. And I listen very closely to what they say because I, you know, you can pick up things that you and I, as Vietnam veterans, would know, but people who were not uh, in Vietnam wouldn't know. Or helicopter pilots. You know, I can talk about landing at Hotel 3, and I said, well, what's that? That was the heliport at Tonsonut, for example. So I just wanted to kind of touch on that. And Cliff did serve in Vietnam, but the stories he told about his experiences simply were not true. And I knew they weren't true. And I actually sat in his living room one day in Roswell, New Mexico, and told him, I said, Cliff, you know this is all bull. I know it's all bull, so why don't we stop? And he said, no, no, it's all true. Um, so uh, I guess that kind of gets to the point you were, we started out at with, with stories expanding. Well, I had this experience, and then I had another, and another, and another, and it gets bigger and bigger, and the story gets more and more exciting as they go on. In writing, we, we think of that as an escalation to the universe, which you, you've got a problem at your uh, house that expands to the neighborhood, it expands to the city, to the state, to the country, to the earth, and finally it's out in the universe uh, to keep keep readers interested. And I think we, we see some of that in the stories of alien abduction as they get better and better and more and more intense as the, the person continues that road. And I'm sure you've seen that same thing. Well, yeah. And I often, I will utilize my experiences and my attitude with stories like that, the same way I did with confidential informants when I was a policeman. Now, every cop that's been involved out on the street will at one point or another get himself a CI or uh, a number of CIs. The way I always operated, and I would tell these people, they were often people that were, at the very least, on the fringe side of the law. And nothing necessarily huge, but if you, if you wanted to, you could take them in. You see what I'm saying? But you give them a choice. Look, look, you uh, do a little work for me. You do a little uh, uh, informing. You know, for example, if there's a, uh, a burglary cr- crew out there, uh, who's in it, who's, who's doing what, 
who's this individual, who's that individual, you know, you're on the street, you see what I'm saying, that type of thing. And I would tell them, you always be straight with me. One time, you BS me, we've got a major, major problem. And with people like Cliff or another guy, uh, Guy Kirkwood was another individual that had that propensity for spinning wild and glorious tales of their time in the United States Air Force as a F-86 Sabre jet pilot, when in fact the guy was never even in the military, much less flying, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, Kevin. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to interject here because I think it's important to point out that uh, when people start talking about their military experiences, there are ways to check this out. And when you confront them with the documentation, the evidence that they aren't who they claim to be or didn't do what they claim to have done, they'll always tell you, well, my records have been changed or my records have been lost. And they'll fall back on the great fire in the um, record center back in 1973. Well, my records burned up. And so there is no record of me being in the military. And once you hear that kind of a story, you've got to take it with a grain of salt because records can be reconstituted. And uh, while you might have been involved in a classified mission and maybe you received a valorous award for it, it won't give the specifics of the mission, but the award will be seen in your records and that sort of thing. So there are ways to check these, this yeah, out. It's called a DD-214. There's, there's that, or you can go, yeah, but, uh, well, the DD-214 has been changed, so it's much harder to uh, manipulate it with, with um, white out in a copy machine. But I think, you know, it's important on us to uh, us as investigators, if somebody tells us a story that we check out their credentials and make sure they are who they say they are, because if they aren't, then that kind of inhibits the entire investigation. Right. Well, <clears throat> when I came back in 72, I had been in military hospitals for almost almost six months and I had to go back into the hospital uh, about three months after I was out. The VA, okay, I went into a VA hospital. So one of the first things I did when I got out, and it was actually uh, at the insistence of my mom because I wanted nothing to do with the armed forces when I got out for a number of reasons. Vietnam was a big one. And uh, the first thing I did, I joined the Disabled American Veterans, DAV. And then I joined the Military Order of the Purple Heart, another veterans organization. Don, course, let me interrupt, Don, let me interrupt you here because I gotta take a break. When we come back, we'll explore this a little bit further and maybe get back to abductions, which was the original topic, uh, but we've kind of explored that as well. Uh, once again, if you want to take a look at some of my B Vietnam experiences, it's www.vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com, um, and it'll give you an idea of what I went through in Vietnam in a sort of a different perspective, if you will. And of course, that's uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will be back right after this with Don Ecker, and we will finish up with today's program. For, so stick around. I'll meet you anywhere, somewhere that no one can retrace. Somewhere where no one will know. Don Ecker, we were, I guess, talking Vietnam a little bit here, which is kind of a bizarre thing that we we managed to, I guess, get sidetracked into that. But uh, Cliff Stone is, is responsible. We'll blame Cliff Stone for that. Um, 
When we went away, Don, you were talking about your experiences when you got back a little bit. And I think from there, we need to get back into the abduction. So what, what were you saying before we left? Well, no, I was just saying that, uh, you know, it's one of those experiences that will remain with you your entire life. And it spills out also on family and sometimes friends. So when somebody is claiming those experiences and it's quite, quite frankly, totally untrue, uh, with any man or woman that have served in the armed forces, they take that personally. I take it personally. And one of the big reasons, and this will be my last word on it, I always remember how I and millions of mostly then my brothers that came back from the war were treated by the public at large. And that's something that also will stick with me my life because we were reviled. I was even spit upon. And uh, that's something that I never want to see happen to any other vet. Well, on uh, to take it a little bit deeper, uh, when I came back from Iraq, we arrived at uh, Bangor, Maine, I think, at 6 o'clock in the morning from, uh, from Iraq. And as we got off the plane, there was a whole group of people there to meet us. And... Um, to thank us for our service and handing out cell phones so we could call family and friends to let them know we were now back into the United States. And it's a completely different experience than when I came back from Vietnam. And I thought, uh, I thought that was kind of nice, especially them handing out the cell phones. And I called, I called my wife, and the first thing she said to me was, are you at Fort Riley? Because she knew that's where we were going to. I says, no, but no, we're in Bangor, Maine, so we're out of out of that arena. So it's kind of a different experience. Totally, totally different. Yeah, absolutely. I was very appreciative of that um, that experience. So I I got sort of a, <laughs> a nice welcoming home when I when I got back from Iraq. Um, we had started out talking about abductions, and I get the impression from your discussion that you accept some abductions as possibly being driven by extraterrestrial intelligences? No, no. Huh? I don't know what is driving them. That is one possible explanation. But, Kevin, I don't know. You don't know. There's nobody that I'm aware of that truly knows. However, that does seem to be the story that's being passed around. So perhaps we will know definitively someday. But at this point, all I can tell you is that entire genre of the phenomena confuses me. I think it's a good way to look at it. Uh, with the research that Russ Estes, Bill Cohn, and I did, we found an awful lot of it related to, as I mentioned earlier, sleep paralysis, people being confused or surprised by this phenomenon. It's wasn't well understood back in the, the earlier days, uh, the 80s and early 90s is more more understood today, confusing people. And then they would have that experience and they would end up with a an abduction researcher who would put them under hypnotic regression and kind of draw the whole abduction scenario out of them. I remember something that Carl Lorenzen said to me. I was talking about um, the Pat Roach abduction in, in Utah and when she drew the alien, it had a Sam Brown belt on. And and uh, Carl Lorenzen said, well, yeah, that's an interesting thing because uh, more of the abductees, more of the witnesses are, are including that detail, and, but they don't know one another. They, they're, they're separated by literally states or continents. And I thought about that and I thought it was very good until I realized that all the abduction researchers were talking to one another. And so they begin looking for those sorts of detail to um, validate each other's um, stories. I'm not sure that I, I'm convinced they didn't do it purposely. To, well, to, let's let me get a little conspiratorial. Let us not forget what happened at the very end of the Second World War. The United States of America brought in every Nazi German scientist they could find to work on a, oh my God, all types of projects, rocketry and mind control 
and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the Nazis had been doing some inhumane but truly cutting-edge research into medicine and a lot of other places, things that we would never conceive of because of the fact that they were so unethical and uh, harmful, okay? But the Nazis did it. So, well, it's already been done. Why don't we see if we can use any of it? And as a result, before you know it, our intelligence agencies and others were going into researching all types of pharmaceuticals, drugs, mind control tests, techniques. Uh, they were using all types of, for the most part, on unknowing subjects. Now, this is in the early, the well, the late 40s, the early 50s. Things like MK Ultra, MK Artichoke, uh, just a whole bunch of different uh you know, horrible things on how to, one of the things they wanted to create was the perfect assassin. Okay, remember, we were expecting almost on a daily basis, we would be in conflict with the Soviet Union, the Russians. Everybody thought there would be a war with uh, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So we were looking for any edge or advantage we could get. And as a result, the American public often was preyed upon, and they weren't even aware of it. Now, let us, well, let us speculate. What if there were individuals out there that decided to make use of the UFO phenomenon. The UFO phenomenon back then was front page news across newspapers from coast to coast. What if somebody said, well, you know, let's see if we can get some of these people and convince them they've been grabbed by an alien. And as a result, you get things like the Sam Brown belt, Kevin. And I'm sure you've thought of this. Well, yeah, but I, what I'm what I'm getting at is when you say that the experiencers do not know one another, and ergo, when they come up with a similar phenomenon, it's corroboration from one story to the next. I'm suggesting that the UFO researchers all know those things, and they're kind of searching for them, and they may inadvertently communicate that to their subjects. Well, so true. It's not, you're it's you're not absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Because for decades, who was it that was doing research? Amateurs. The majority of them truly did not have a clue on how to conduct a proper investigation. If you had a tape recorder and a pencil and a notebook and a camera and you read about Joe Blow having a UFO sighting out in the boondocks, you drive out, you find Joe, and then you question them, okay? And uh, who knows how many people led these subjects with leading questions and presuppositions. Uh, amateurs. Well, I think that the thing we have to remember, too, is there was nobody else doing it. You know, the Air Force was allegedly doing what the, but mostly the people doing the investigations into UFOs at the various Air Force bases were, were a junior officer, a second lieutenant. Yeah, I'm, not, no, I'm not knocking these, these civilian investigators. What, well, I'm, I'm, what I am I'm saying, saying... I'm just saying the Air Force investigators were in the same boat. They were not trained to conduct a proper investigation, which is not to say they couldn't or the amateurs couldn't, but there is an awful lot of slop in those early investigations. You're absolutely correct. Right. So we have we're to on, take, We're on the same page. Yes. Maybe on the same pair in the same paragraph uh, on, on that sort of thing. Uh, Don, is there anything coming up in your future that uh, we should alert the public to? No. <laughs> 
You don't lecture. You don't go to conventions. You uh... well, you got to be invited, okay? And uh, I'm I'm one of those people that uh, most conventions and uh, symposiums and what have you. Uh, well, it's like they've never heard of me. Although I've been around a long time, uh, I don't get many invites, Kevin. Uh, I think I think that a lot of those folks are afraid that I might be too real for them. I think the, the problem is, you know, an awful lot of the audiences at these conventions and symposium want to hear the wild stories and not be brought back to reality. And, you know, hear where the facts take us as opposed to where your fantasies take us. So I think that's the problem. Don, it's been a wonderful, cha- t- wonderful time chatting with you again. And we'll have to do it another time, I guess. Thank you. Thank you for uh, taking time out today. You bet. It's always a pleasure, Kevin. Thanks, Don. Uh, Coming up next week, I'm going to have a brief conversation with Don Schmidt talking about uh, UFOs and what our experiences have taken, uh, what our experiences are, where they've taken us. And as I, uh, I don't do a good job of promoting my work. And I think that um, UFOs in the Deep State is a little bit different book for me because it kind of delves into some of the conspiracies and the operation of the Deep State, but there's a historical precedent for that. And and it is explored in the book with um, General Smedley Butler, the only Marine to have two medals of honor, and he would have had three, but during the first opportunity officers in the Marine Corps were not eligible for the Medal of Honor, and how after uh, Roosevelt was elected president, they wanted to um, curtail his agenda and wanted to bring Butler in as a, uh, I guess, a secure uh, um, presidential stand-in and provide guidance for the president and he just wouldn't have it but it's all laid out in that it's it's um, I guess it's documented in the newspapers documented was the word I was kind of groping for there Uh, so you can take a look at how the deep state has manipulated our history not just in UFOs it's the the book focuses mainly on UFOs simply because uh, that's the area I wanted to explore but it gives some answers to questions about how the information is hidden and why it's hidden and how they keep the presidents from asking, now not keeping them from asking questions, but getting answers to their questions and uh, that sort of thing. And so I think it's an important book that we should all take a look at. It's available at Amazon. If you get the book, give it a rating because it certainly helps to let other people know that book is out there. Um, I'll have more information about what we've discussed here today and some other things at uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Always have stuff up there in a variety of topics, in a variety of arenas uh, that I think will interest people. I also should mention there are many good programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, so take a look at the program guides and you'll find something I'm sure that's going to excite you. As I say, I'll be back in 167 hours with Don Schmidt talking about UFOs. Hey, thanks for tuning in. When she gripped my hand, I was feeling mighty fine But her fingers with mine would not intertwine When I bent down and gazed into her eyes There were bigger donuts and blacker than the sky